So the scripture reading today is from Micah, although it's listed as just Micah verse 8. I've been asked to read verses 6 through 8, so I'm going to read two additional verses. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before God with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousands of rams or with ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Sounds like I'm on. <laughs> uh, thank you, first of all, to Sandy and Jamie Lee and uh, you as a congregation for welcoming me here this morning. I'm a retired United Methodist pastor. Um, some people here might remember me because I was a district superintendent for a while and Washington Park was part of my district. So I was in and out periodically to visit with you. Um, and it's always good to be able to come back and see familiar faces and to share in worship with you. So thank you, all of you, for this privilege this morning. I have with me a friend, uh, Tanya Boyette, and love to have her seated here with me uh, to see her face and to enjoy her presence. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for the gift of this morning. For the sunshine, for the clouds, for the snow, for the earth that reminds us this is your creation. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, Jamie Lee has been at Spirit of Hope, where my husband and I attend, uh, doing, and I think here too, uh, a, a series on the prophets. And then along with that, sharing with you um, people, particularly African-American women, who have, throughout the life and the history of this country, brought their gifts and their prophecy to this world in their own particular way. Today we hear from the prophet Micah. Micah lived in the 767 to 7, oh, 7, 8, close to the 800s. He lived in the time of three kings. And from his perspective, he saw that the nation and the people of Judah and Israel were a fallen people. And so he prophesied and said, particularly he came from a rural area, and so as he looked on urban areas and their great wealth, and particularly the people in power, not just the kings, not just the judges, but even the priests and the 
way that they were manipulating the people, especially the oppressed and poor people, in order to build magnificent buildings and to live very rich lives, literally and figuratively. And so his prophecy was not just for their time when there was a great division between the poor and the wealthy and the greed that was overcoming their lives and the division between Judah and Samaria. Now, if you remember during Jesus' time, one of the great stories is about the Good Samaritan. And so even in Jesus' time, this division between the North and South Kingdoms, between Judah and Israel, was still present. And the Judeans looked down upon the Samaritans because their capital was Samaria, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the place where God really was, of course, in the temple. And so he cried out to them about their division, their greed, their misuse of their power. And his primary prophecy was that both capitals, Jerusalem and Samaria, would fall. They did. It took 150 years before Jerusalem fell, but it did. The temple was destroyed, and if you look into the history of Jerusalem, two more times after that, the temple was destroyed. The city desecrated. His prophecy didn't really happen in his time. Mamie Phipps Clark, who was born in 1917 and died in 1983, was a social psychologist and counselor. Despite growing up during the Great Depression and living in the segregated South, Mamie had a happy childhood, comforted by family and school. She graduated at 16 and earned a scholarship to Howard University. Although <clears throat> she, uh, major, she uh, started with a major in math and minor in physics, she eventually switched to psychology, which was the same major as her future husband, Kenneth Clark, and research partner. Mamie had never dreamed that segregation could be challenged and in the summer of 1938, she worked for civil rights activist and the NAACP lawyer, Charles Houston. She saw famous lawyers gear up to tackle the monster that was segregation, and she realized that with the combined efforts of determined people, they could make real change. The work Mamie did in college was the beginning of breakthrough research that became known as the Doll Tess. Anybody here? Psychology major, remember about the doll test? Somebody. I have a psychology minor, so somebody else. I, I remember too. The work made me, uh, the study showed an overwhelming preference for white dolls in black children aged three to seven. The children, half of whom attended segregated schools, were presented four, four dolls, two brown with black hair and two white with yellow hair, and were given instructions like, Give me the doll that is a nice doll. Give me the doll that looks bad. And give me the doll that looks like you. 
Mamie and Kenneth concluded that the students from segregated schools had developed a sense of inferiority and self-hatred, and that integration was helpful to both black and white children in achieving a healthy racial self-identification and improving race relations. This became key evidence in the landmark Supreme Court case of Brown versus uh, Board of Education, which in 1954 ruled racial segregation unconstitutional in American public schools. Mamie's research altered the course of history for every child in America. She followed her passion and it led her to make a difference in the world. A prophet in her own time. She also shared the similar experience that Mike had, didn't she? Division among the people, oppression of the poor, oppression of the other, the one not like me. Division in politics, division in religion. Sound familiar? You know what? I looked up last night when I was studying for this sermon when the Emancipation Proclamation was. Anybody remember? 150 years ago. I thought, hmm, isn't that interesting? The destruction of Jerusalem happened 150 years after Micah was the prophet. And now here we are still struggling, trying to make the Emancipation Proclamation real in our lives. And sadly, we have to admit, as the church, we've failed. Look around here. We know worship is still the most segregated place on Sunday morning. How do we get out of this mess? Well, God's word through the prophet Micah was pretty clear. I'm going to ask if you could put that Micah 6.8 verse back up there again, please. He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Another translation says, to love mercy or to be merciful. You know what? I could spend three Sundays on doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. But I'm going to, to this morning, choose the last one, to walk humbly with your God. And I think it's interesting that that is the last one, because we know usually what we hear last is what we remember, often the first too, but the last for sure. Why am I choosing that? Because quite frankly, we can't do justice, we can't love kindness or be merciful unless we are walking humbly with God. It is the foundation of our lives. We in Christianity, I think, have done a disservice 
for bringing people into that walk with God for a long, long time. In a class that I attend with other adults last Sunday, we were talking about this, and, and I said, um, what in the first chapter of Genesis, the creation story, does God say about creation? Anybody remember? It's repeated over and over and over in Genesis 1. That is correct. God created and God said, it is good. But, much to the dismay of this world, what did we emphasize? The second creation story, the fall. And it most prolifically shows itself in that question that was used a long time in Christianity and still is, are you born again? When I asked the class last week, what came to mind when they heard that question, most of them said, have I confessed my sins? Is Jesus Christ my Savior? Anybody got, got one of those tracks that had that all in when you were asked that question? Were you born again? It emphasized our depravity, our sinfulness. And you know what? We've been stuck for a long time in that place. Instead of in the good message of God that God said, I created and it is good. Why am I saying this is an important distinction? Because quite frankly, my friends, unless we know we are loved, unless we know we are good as the starting point of our faith, we can't get through the mess we create. Because it requires us to surrender to God. Ah, I don't know about you, but the first time I started thinking about that, my ego got a little bit um, distressed. <laughs> Surrender? Uh-uh, not me. You know, I was a woman of the 60s <laughs> in the feminist movement and came later to this career in my life and worked hard to get there, and I wasn't going to give it up. Well, I must confess, it took me a long time and years in ministry, honestly, and preaching. You know, we preachers preach mostly to ourselves. To understand that I wasn't giving up myself when I surrendered. In fact, it's the exact opposite. In surrendering to God, I am, in fact, living from the fullest point of the creation God has made in me and you. That's what God wants. God wants who we are in this world, like Micah, like Mamie. God created us to bring the gifts we've been given to this world, and when we're gone, those gifts are gone. They are uniquely given to each one of us to share in this world. What does it take? Walking humbly with your God. And usually, a great humiliation. 
and maybe more than one. We're kind of going through that right now in this country and in this world. COVID was actually kind of a sign of this great humiliation. Kind of set us back, didn't it? Speaking of humbleness. And there's lots of other things. But it is in that experience of humility that we most often succinctly experience God. Because everything that we have used to control our lives and the nice little boxes we have built around God to say this is who God is suddenly collapse and it doesn't work anymore. And in that not working anymore, in that mess, there God is. And saying, walk with me. Let me show you the way. I have something bigger planned. In the Bible, restoration, the title of the sermon today, means not just bringing back, not just bringing it back to where it was, but in fact, always, and Micah, Isaiah, Hosea, all in Micah's time, all do this. After the prophecy of doom, they end by saying, God will restore, and restore abundantly beyond your wildest dreams and imaginations. That's restoration in the Bible. That's restoration of our faith. We pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What if this is the Garden of Eden? And it's up to us to make it that way. To move it towards that dream that was given to us in Genesis. Remember? What was the thing that happened in that garden? God and Adam and Eve walked together in the morning and in the night. It is essential. Yes, we worship. Yes, we pray. We say our Father. We maybe say our prayers around our meals. But walking with God, and real prayer is living it. Living it in every moment of our life. Stopping in the midst and paying attention to what God might be doing, what God might be showing. And it takes patience, and it takes humility, and it takes mercy and loving kindness toward ourselves and towards the others. Interestingly, it just might be the essence of evolution. Amen.